0: regrets. Ain't nobody got time for that when I think about the way he loves us. What a thing to revel in. Do you believe it? Man, it is a glorious thing. And and honestly, there's just a fresh sense of his love in this place here this morning. And I trust that you won't leave here Oh, without leaning in and dialing into a sense of the unbelievable truth and reality that you are loved by God. It's who you are because he's a good, good father. That's who he is. What an amazing thing to declare. Well, my, my name is Kondo. I get to serve as one of the pastors here Um, at Mission Point, and um, again, if you're a guest with us, so glad uh, that you're here. You are joining us um, in the middle of a journey through the New Testament book of Ephesians, and in this journey, in this study, we are asking uh, the significant question, what does God, this good, good Father, say is most true about us? One of the things we've been saying over and over again for the past number of weeks, what you believe to be most true about you has a profound way of determining your disposition, your decisions, your direction, and in so many senses, your destination in life. And you know as well as I do that we can go for our entire lives believing something that's not true, believing lies spoken over us or born out of our experiences. And what we believe will determine how we live. You know as well as I do that we can go the entirety of our lives and be unaware of glorious things that are true about us. And miss out on some of the fullness that is available to us. And so in this journey, we're asking the question, what does God say is most true about us? What does God see and say about us because of the work of Jesus Christ, because that's what we want to believe most. That's what we want to most have influencing our disposition, our decisions, our direction, and in so many senses, our life's destination. And so we're going to continue that journey this morning. If you have a copy of the scriptures, um, meet us in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And we are going to uh, look at a section of scripture from verses 13 through the end of verse 18. Um, we've skipped a couple of verses in there. Verse 11 and verse 12 talks about being chosen and being predestined. We're like, that's too complicated to deal with. So we're going to just skip that and jump right to verse 13. Now, if you've been here with us, you know that we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And, um, and if you haven't had an opportunity to catch up, please do that. Uh, free online, missionpoint.net. You can watch or download or listen to. That message. But this morning we are going to just continue. We're going to read through this section of scripture and just make a number of observations about what God says is true about us. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. Um, Here's what Paul says. He says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. The gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Um, Before Paul goes on, it's almost as though he takes this intermission, almost as though he takes this quick little sidebar to let the Ephesians know, hey, sidebar, real quick, just to remind you, all of these flooring truths uh, that we've been talking about, they belong to you. These heavenly realities, these spiritual blessings that we've been looking at, they are yours You are included in all of them. They are talking about you. Because Paul knows that there is a tendency and a propensity about the church to exclude ourselves. We have a tendency to make Christianity a spectator sport. And we have a tendency of making the truths of God something to be studied and observed at a distance. And before you know it, the church starts to say things like, ooh, Man, did you see what God did back then through Moses? Ooh, did you hear what God said to Elijah? And ooh, did you see those promises that he made to the early church in the book of Acts? And Paul says, sidebar, you're included. These promises, these truths are talking about you. In fact, we're about to look at some truths that you're going to need to be reminded belong to you. Do not exclude yourself. Jesus Christ lived the life we couldn't. Jesus Christ died the death we should have. And then Jesus Christ rose to offer us the life that God intended for us. And what he's saying is if you've heard that message and you've believed it, that moment you become included in all the truths and all the promises in all of the scriptures. They are yours. So don't sideline yourself when you run into some truth that seems just a little too glorious to apply to you. You are included. And then Paul kind of closes his sidebar and then continues unraveling some of the glorious truths and realities that are ours, that we are included in. And look at what he says again, verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. But hearing is not enough. When you believed, you were, he says, marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Whoa. whoa, whoa. So, what Paul is suggesting here um, is that. When you place your trust in the person and finished work of Jesus Christ, something entirely supernatural happens to you. Now, some of us, I think, can remember back to that vivid moment, that vivid experience when this happened for us. But, but for most of us, we didn't even realize it was happening. We didn't realize that the moment we believed the gospel, we experienced a holy invasion the bible teaches and Pauls reiterating that truth right here in this passage that when you said yes to jesus god the holy spirit moved in and literally took residence in your body now i don't know whereabouts in your anatomy he resides i don't know all of that but if you're a christian you house God, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Now you can start to understand why Paul might want to take a sidebar just to remind the church you're included in this because this is crazy. But you're included. The person of the Holy Spirit, God, the third person of the Godhead, the one who was hovering in the darkness over the uninhabited deep, that spirit, Lives in you. The one who split darkness with light. The one who hung the stars in the galaxy. Because he is the arrangement, by the way, in the Godhead. God's the mastermind. But when he speaks something and wants something to be accomplished in the earth, guess who carries it out? It's typically the Holy Spirit who's bringing light out of darkness and life out of death. And he's saying that person, um, yeah, so he lives in you. And all of the person of the Holy Spirit, by the way, not just a piece of him, not just a part of him, not just a portion of him, because you know as well as I do that you can't have just half of a person move into your house. It's the whole person of the Holy Spirit. And he moves into all of us who believe. We're all included the moment we believe. Not just some of us with a less sordid past. Not just those of us who volunteer a little extra at church. But all of us. No exceptions. No one missed out. No one is sidelined. No one is excluded. If you believed, you received the Holy Spirit. The minute we say yes to Jesus, all of us have all of the person of the Holy Spirit come and live in us. All of him in all of us. John Legend wrote a song about it. You should check it out sometime. So, if that's true, by the way, you ought to at least at a bare minimum be very careful where you go. Because if he lives in you, then wherever you go... He goes as well. You ought to be very careful who you hook onto and who you hang out with. Because whoever you interact with, the Holy Spirit is a part of that. That's just something to think about. Oh, and also, you ought to be very careful the next time you're tempted to stare in the mirror and call his house ugly. Just say, just say. The Holy Spirit lives in us. I think Paul starts to tell us why that matters. Because the Holy Spirit didn't just move in because he he had no... uh, Better place to live. He actually moved in so we could live better. And Paul starts to explain some of those things. And what Paul does in this section of scripture is he highlights two significant roles that the residence of the Holy Spirit in us plays or accomplishes. Two things that the Spirit does because he lives in us. And we want to spend the rest of our time talking about the Holy Spirit. And in particular, we want to spend the rest of our time talking about these two roles that he plays. And let me give them to you ahead of time. The two roles we're going to see is that the Holy Spirit in us, he seals and he reveals. He's the sealer, which as we'll see in a little bit, has much more to do with the future our future, our future hope, our future home. But he's not just a sealer, he's a revealer, which, as we'll see, has more to do with our right now, our present. Experiences. Now, you don't have to fully understand what sealer and revealer mean right now, but I think it will be helpful for you uh, to realize that we're dealing with these two categories and anticipate them as we move forward. And we're going to spend uh, probably more of our time talking about the Holy Spirit as our sealer, speaking about the future, and towards the end, we'll speak a little bit more about his role as revealer. But the first thing we see um, in this section of Scripture is that the Spirit seals us. Look again at verse 13. It says, And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him, in Jesus, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. The Spirit seals us. Now, that has nothing to do with um, caulking, that has nothing to do with plumbing, nothing to do uh, with springing a leak. The idea of a seal uh, would have been very readily understood by the first century Ephesian uh, Christians. A seal was simply a unique mark or insignia or signature that was used to communicate ownership, Authenticity and guarantee. And we're going to talk a little bit about how this applies to us. A unique mark or, or signature or insignia that was used uh, to speak of or to communicate ownership, authenticity, or a guarantee. And so in the first century Roman times, I'm sure you've seen this. A king might have a ring with a signet on it. He might have some kind of of a royal seal. And wherever he put that thing, that was his way of claiming royal ownership. And emperors would do that. Um, And, you know, we've seen this even when Jesus was buried in the tomb. The emperor put his seal on on it. This is a matter of royal affair, a seal. Um, in that sense, what Paul is suggesting about us is that the Holy Spirit um, is God's unique mark of ownership and authenticity and guarantee in us. Let's talk about that. For a couple of moments. Those three senses in which the Holy Spirit seals us. And the first, again, is this idea that he is as a seal, a seal of ownership. Seal of ownership. Um, When I was younger, um, there were a couple of things that were true about me and my siblings. And number one, we were incredibly liberal with helping ourselves to things that did not belong to us. Number two is we're incredibly conservative at sharing things that did. Um, so we were stingy stealers in the Simfuku home. That's just the way it was. It was a dog robbed dog world in that situation. And the only way you could hope to survive in that kind of a hostile environment is if you were really, really smart. Which again, P.S. explains why I'm standing here right now telling you the tales, these stories. Um, But if you happen to have something that was precious to you, that clearly you had no intention of sharing, if you had any hopes that this precious thing would survive. And by precious, I mean something like um, this, like a Snickers bar. Um, That's what I mean by precious commodity. If you owned a Snickers bar uh, and you hoped that that thing would survive among the stealing Sinfukwe through the night, you would seal it. That's what you would do. Now, the sealing process in our home was very simple. You would grab the Snickers bar and you would walk around and find every single one of those thieving brothers and sisters and you would seal it. And here's how you would seal it. Um, um, uh. You would lick every last inch of it. And as if that weren't enough, you would just... You would put your teeth marks... In the Snickers bar, as you watch just the hope drain out of those thieving faces. And then, you would even do one of those arrogant things. You'd put that thing in full display uh, for your siblings to see it. Because every time they even thought about approaching and touching, they would see those molar marks. Uh, they would see that spit streak. And they would be reminded, that thing is sealed. It is owned by Condo. Touch and you die. Plus, it's kind of gross to touch it, and therefore your property would survive through the night. When I was in boarding school, um, all of us had white shirts, and if you hoped that your shirt would survive laundry day, you had to figure out a way to get a permanent marker and permanently mark a unique seal. Either on the name tag, on the tag um, on the back of the shirt, or some unique location on the shirt. So if there's ever any dispute, you'd be able to come and say, Mm hmm, Um, left inside armpit, thank you. And your seal would be revealed, and everybody would know, Yep, that is my shirt. Please leave it alone. It's your way of saying mine. Please do not touch, and in the least gross way possible. The Holy Spirit is God's unique mark. He is God's royal insignia on his people. Because I don't know if you knew this, but God is highly territorial with us. Does not share well with others. The Bible refers to him as an intensely jealous God. How it speaks of him, and so he seals us with a mark. It's his claim of ownership, and that claim, that mark, is the Holy Spirit. He wants everyone to know, mine. This one belongs to me. And that means, by the way, a couple a couple of quick things. Um, number one, it means you're safe. If nothing else, it means you are safe. I mean, when those Devils come sniffing around to steal or to kill or to destroy. They take one look at you and immediately they see God's mark, God's seal. And they know, mine, tamper, and you die. That's why demons can't mess with you without the exclusive permission of God. Now, I don't understand why God allows certain things to happen to us. I don't get that. But what I do know is that nothing gets to us without getting through him. That's part of being sealed by our God. We are safe. Which means, by the way, he will never lose us. And it means no one can ever take us away. From him, It's such a reassuring thought, but it also means that we are owned, right? Because the seal on us is God's seal, the Holy Spirit. Now, we're in this kick, honestly, where we are constantly asking questions like, tell me, what are your desires and dreams for your life? Tell me, who do you want to marry? What do you want to be? Where do you want to go? What do you want to make of your life? And I'm excuse me, Bon Jovi. It's not your life. Right? The most appropriate question we can ask, if we have hopes of living meaningfully, is God, since it's your seal, it's your life. In fact, 1 Corinthians 6 says, I bought you at a price, you're mine. The best question we can ask is, what do you want? What are your dreams? What are your desires for your life? Which I happen to be hauling around. Because, after all, we are not our own. We are His. The Spirit is a seal of ownership. But uh, the Spirit is also a seal of authentication. It is a seal of... Um, authentication. In a culture where forgery and counterfeiting was a common thing, it it obviously became necessary to figure out a way to make sure that a legal document or a monetary unit um, was genuine. And so you would uniquely sign it or you would imprint some kind of insignia, a seal to authenticate that this thing is the real deal. Now, we understand that. We do that in our culture, this ceiling for authentication um, concept. I'll I'll give you an example. Mystery of all mysteries. uh, I have on me a a $20 bill. Um, Andrew Jackson is on the cover of this magazine, uh, apparently. Um, And in order to make this hard to counterfeit, It is covered with a bunch of seals, a bunch of watermarks. In fact, on this $20 bill, if you hold it to the light right there, there is the watermark of the face of AJ that is embedded into the paper on which this money is printed, making it really, really, really hard to counterfeit, but also making it recognizable in the event that someone should attempt to insert a forged copy into circulation. Now, again, I realize this is not kind because um, for you college students, let me start again. This is a $20 bill. It's uh, money. But I'll tell you what, first college student who makes their way up to the front can, can keep it. So, um, let's see um, how the shame game works. So, um, it's yours, you know, it's kind of like the spiritual blessings are ours if you just reach out and take it. But while you guys are debating, uh, let me carry on. Um, <laughs> whenever <laughs> you guys are going to be distracted till a college student is like, is he serious? <laughs> this is mine. Just kidding. No, it's is a real deal. By the way, um, not even forged. Whenever I travel, um, I will go to the airport, and one of the things that they will do is they will grab my passport and they'll take this really fancy light and they'll shine this ultraviolet thing on it. That's what I'm talking about right there. That's, man, that's awesome. That is awesome. Congratulations. Um, But they will, they'll take this ultraviolet light And they'll shine it on the pages of my passport. And it will reveal this unique watermark, this unique seal. And if that seal is not revealed under the ultraviolet light, they know immediately you're an imposter. You're not getting into this country. You're not getting out of this country. You're just going to Tom Hanks in the airport for however long. I don't know how it works, but they won't let you travel without a genuine article. The Holy Spirit... In us is the seal authenticating that we are genuine children of God. Now that might seem like a simple fact, but I think for the church this is important for us to hear. I think it's really huge um, for us to be aware of because the Lord says several times in his scriptures something sobering. And what he says is in My church, there are a lot of posers. There are a lot of imposters. They look the part, they play the part, but they are not the part. Now listen, you may be able to pull that off with everybody else. But what this says is under the holy ultraviolet ray of God's eye, he will look for the seal of authentication. Is this one mine? Is this one mine? And you don't get to be sealed because you attended church and you tweaked your behavior a little bit. You are included when you hear and believe the finished work of Jesus Christ. And God says on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this for you and that in your name? And he'll say, but you never had the seal. I never knew you. You were never the authentic Deal. And that ought to sober us. And it doesn't. It shouldn't sober us in this way that terrifies us and makes us panic. It should sober us in a way that makes us run to Jesus and say, Jesus, please, would you please cover me with your blood? Would you please forgive? Would you please include me? Because the minute you do that, what did we say happens? Sealed by the Holy Spirit. Spirit. It is a mark, a seal of authentication. But Paul pushes further um, into an aspect of the Holy Spirit's sealing. That seems to be a little more of his emphasis um, in this passage. And he says the Holy Spirit is not just a seal of ownership and a seal of authentication. Uh, but particularly with this future orientation, that the Spirit is a seal of guarantee. He's a seal of guarantee. Look at verse 14. Paul continues speaking about the Holy Spirit, and he says, He is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, those God owns. To the praise of his glory. So Paul says the Holy Spirit um, and he uses the word deposit. He's a deposit. Uh, another version uses the word a down payment. And frankly, it doesn't matter which D word you choose. It means the same thing. Uh, in our culture, as was true in their culture, when you wanted to hire somebody to do some work for you, You would give them what was referred to as araban, a down payment, a deposit. And what that was, was a portion of the full payment to be given pending the completion of the work. In other words, I'll give you a part of it now, and I'll give you the rest of it when you finish the job. It, It was this down payment. We refer to it sometimes as earnest money, but the way it worked was the minute I handed you a down payment and you received the down payment, that action signified that we had now entered into a legally binding contract. We were in a legally binding agreement. Down payment, araban. It was a way of saying, hey, I'm good for the rest of the money. It was a way of saying there's more money where that money came from money. It was guaranteeing that I'm going to give you the rest one day upon the completion of this task. And that's exactly what Paul wants the church to understand. That the Holy Spirit is God's, there's more where that came from guarantee to us. Uh, the idea here is that the Spirit guarantees that we, God's people, will one day get God's inheritance. That's a good guarantee to have. It's the guarantee that God will give us the rest of everything he has promised to give us in Jesus Christ when our work is on earth is done. Now, we've seen this in the last few weeks, that we've been blessed in the spiritual realms with every spiritual blessing. God has already credited to our spiritual account every conceivable supply our souls could ever conceivably need. In that sense, it's already ours. It already belongs to us. But our access to it is limited. And what Paul is saying is the Holy Spirit is a guarantee that one day you are going to get the full measure. You are co-heirs with Christ, meaning what's his is yours. You have a share in the family inheritance, and God is going to one day give you the full portion of it. How do we know you do that, God? Because I've given you myself as a guarantee that I will give you my stuff. The guarantee that we will take a hold of the glory. There is not a single promise God has made to you. There's not a single spiritual supply that God has in the heavenly storehouse that you are not going to get to hold and enjoy. And the Holy Spirit is God's earnest deposit, his promise to us. But The guarantee is, interestingly, a two-way street. When Paul uses the word inheritance in this passage, he uses it twice. In fact, we're going to jump down really quickly to verse 18, if we would, to see him use it again. Look at what he says in verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Did you know that God is not only going to give us an inheritance, but he's going to get an inheritance? Paul uses the idea of inheritance in two different ways. Once when he's speaking about our inheritance that God will give us. The second time in verse 18 he's speaking about God's inheritance that he will get in us. We are God's inheritance. We are the thing God cannot wait to get His hands on. We are what God cannot wait to enjoy forever and ever and ever and ever. And the Holy Spirit is a double guarantee that we will get ours and God will get His. And we are the His God wants to get. It's who we are. It's who we are. And I love this because... In case you wondered, God has a vested interest in his inheritance. And he knew, if I leave it up to them, they're going to get lost, they're going to get derailed, they're going to go on detours. So to ensure that I get my inheritance, to guarantee that I get mine, I'm going to send myself to live in them. Because if anyone knows how to get to me, it's me. So the Spirit guarantees not only that we get to where our stuff is, but that we get to where God wants us to be. We are His inheritance. If you've ever wondered, by the way, about the value God puts on you in Jesus Christ, the guarantee of the Holy Spirit should remind you he is so committed to getting you to where he is that he sent himself as the GPS, as the guide, as the chaperone, as his personal secret service to ensure you got home to where you needed to be. That should be good news for us, by the way, because some of us are in dark places right now where everything feels like it's broken and we feel like we're entirely lost. And all we can see is pain and confusion. God's vested interest in you is so great, he will get you out of that and get you home. If you have the seal, he guarantees whatever you're going through. Some of us purposely go off road. Just rebelling, just, and the spirit keeps saying, recalculating route. take the next available U-turn. And we just keep going because we've seen a white castle in the distance and we're going to go do that thing. The spirit's guarantee will get us home somehow. We may be a little more beaten than we needed to be. We may be a little more bruised and bloated than we needed to be. But the reality is his guarantee will get us home. God is going to get his, even if not for your sake, for his sake. And so it's a powerful thing to think the Spirit is the guarantee that in the future, all the parties are going to be happy. The Spirit is the seal of guarantee. Um, But there's another way in which the Spirit's residence in us matters that we want to touch on as we wrap. Paul says he doesn't just seal us to claim ownership and and to show authenticity and to give us guarantee. He, He doesn't just seal us to assure us of the future, that we're going to get home and we're going to enjoy all that is ours, and God is going to enjoy all that is His. But he says the Spirit also reveals Not just our inheritance for the future in the sealing sense, but he reveals Jesus and our inheritance to us now. He seals us, he's going to get us home, don't get me wrong. But what Paul says is do not miss the fact that the Spirit of God wants to reveal, he wants to bring a little bit of home to you now. He's going to get you to your inheritance, but he wants to bring a little bit of the inheritance to you now. And look at what he says in this prayer, this beautiful intercessory prayer in verse 15. He says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, of wisdom and of revelation, so that you may know him better. And verse 18 says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, that you may know it now, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. What a powerful prayer. Um, I'm going to show you a picture. Please shout out the answer if you know who this is. Please. I am, I'm seriously, I'm packing and leave. <laughs> Two of you know who that is. That hurts me. Okay, thank you. That is Roger Federer, people. Come on. Oh, man, that hurts so, so much. I thought I was talking to the church, people who love Jesus. Apparently not. I, my absolute favorite athlete on the face of the planet, that is Roger Federer, the single most incredible tennis player to ever play the game. Roger, I love him. And if you disagree that is the greatest thing, just leave after the service is over. Um, (laughs) um, I love this guy, ask me anything about him. All right, I'll tell you about him. Um, Roger Federer, Born um, August eighth, nineteen eighty-one, um, in Basel, Switzerland, um, he this thirty-four-year-old stylish. Um, of a Swiss maestro. Um, he has won 17 Grand Slam championships. Just know that that's a lot. No one has won as many as he has. He's won 24 Masters, 1,000 events. You don't need to know what that means. He's won 87 titles over his career. He's a gold medalist. He's the best-dressed athlete on the face of the planet. Roger Federer, he's the man. Now, um, I'm not bragging or anything, but <laughs> I kind of know him. Uh, so we've... Um, you know, we've, we've talked, we've, we've chatted, we've hanged out. I know you don't believe me, so check out this picture. Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's me and Roger. Look how happy he looks. Can you see the joy? <laughs> Can you see the joy deep, <laughs> deep in his eyes? Oh, my goodness. Um, we, we go to the same tournaments. In fact, we work at um, at least two of the same tournaments every year. Uh, in fact, check this out. Um, that's me at a tennis tournament with Roger. If you look closely by the racket, in the sunglasses, that's me, and that's John Metz, who's sitting over here on, on the left, cramping my style. But we were at an event with Roger Federer, because he's, 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 um, he's my guy and, um, and everything. Uh, check out this uh, next picture um, here Because we even eat in the same dining room. He's a sushi guy, in case you were wondering. Uh, this was just a few weeks ago. And if you look deep in the corner, that dark shadow, that's Roger eating some sushi before he went out and destroyed Novak Djokovic in the final in Cincinnati. That's my man, Roger. Love him. Oh, man. All right, that, that's enough. Um, but here, do me a favor. Next time you see him, um, you should ask him. Tell him, hey, Roger, be honest. No need to hide, no need to veil your honest thoughts. What do you think about Kondo? Be honest. I can guarantee you I know the first thing that will come to his mind. Who? <laughs> Who? I've never heard of such a person in my entire life. Because I don't know no Roger. There's a difference between knowing and knowing knowing. I mean, there is a difference between having facts about someone and actually knowing them. There's a difference between being a fan and being a friend. There's a difference between being in the same room or the same place and having a relationship with someone. And that's Paul's powerful point in this prayer. It's possible to know stuff about God, but not really know know Him. It's possible to have a bunch of information about your spiritual supply in the heavenly realms and never actually Enjoy it, and so Paul is pleading with God that the church would know know their God, and that the church would know, as in enjoy their inheritance, enjoy their hope. Because Paul knows this is true. There's a difference between information about God and intimacy with Him, and Paul is praying that we would know know Him intimately. The difference between exposure to his truth and experiencing it. There's a difference between tweeting the things you're learning about God and actually tasting the realities of his promises. And the sad thing is, many of us in the church are tweeters, we are fans of. God. There's a difference between attending and working the same weekly event as God called church every week and being acquainted with him. It's not the same thing. And so Paul says, I beg God over and over and over and over again. Please let your church experientially know, know you. Please let your church increasingly enjoy these spiritual realities that you've given them. Not only in the future, but now, God. Please let the church enjoy these things now. And what Paul is saying is for that to happen, there is only one way. One way. For God to become real and for us to really know him. And that's if the Holy Spirit reveals him. And so he prays for revelation. Revelation. There's only one way for the spiritual blessings that are ours to become real and to be really enjoyed. And that's if the Holy Spirit reveals them. And that's why he prays for wisdom. It's the art of applying truth to your life. 1 Corinthians 2 says no one knows the mind of God but the Spirit of God. And so what Paul is saying is if we have any hope of knowing God, experiencing God meaningfully, the Spirit who knows his mind has to reveal him to us. We can't know and experience these things that are ours apart from the spirit of God and my fear um, and <clears throat> honestly what I believe is that there is a famine of the experience of God in his church there is a famine of enjoying the spiritual realities that are ours in the church oh we talk about him it's not a shortage of information It's a shortage of encounter with a person of God. There are a bunch of us who have a bunch of facts about him and we hang out in the general locations, but we don't experience our God. There's no revelation. In the church, honestly, there's a shortage of joy, there's a shortage of peace. These are things we talk about, they're things we hear about, they're things we study, but, but we've never really experienced them. And I think it's because in the church, there is a famine of the presence of the Holy Spirit. We are not crying out to him and saying, open the eyes of our heart, because apart from that, we can't see God And these spiritual blessings are spiritual, so it might help to have somebody spiritual introducing them to us. And be honest, when was the last time you'd say, I encountered my God and I reveled in his joy? I think there's a famine and the world looks at us and thinks you're as happy as we are. We both binge on Netflix when we need a little pick-me-up. God is saying, I want to know you. You are my prized possession. And if that's going to happen, it's not going to happen because we study more alone. It's not going to happen through a devotional. It's going to happen because we as a church realize our desperate need for the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and give us sight and give us vision into things which we otherwise cannot see. You want to know how to access your spiritual supply? By begging the Holy Spirit, take us beyond theory, take us beyond all of these ideas, and into a place where we experience you, and we enjoy what's ours in you, and that's the Holy Spirit. He reveals those things to us. As we close, I want to show you a video that was so moving, and some of you have seen it, and um, I even brought some Kleenex up here just in case, and um, but this is such a, a powerful picture of what I envisioned as I was thinking about this passage, and what the Lord wants to do in you, what the Lord wants to do in me, what He wants to do in His church. I think it might look a little something like this. Check this out. Recording clockman First hearing. First hearing aid.: Are you ready? No. <laughs> okay. This is the, the big this moment big moment, moment. She's going to hear something. We don't really know what. I'm going to roll this on. to push you in your head just a little bit. There you go. It's beeping. So now technically your device is on. Can you tell? I just said you hear it. <laughs> hey, I sound. <laughs> You're hearing yourself better. Okay, you can cry. It's okay. Hi, Cooper. <gasps> Hi, Cooper. <gasps> Hi, Cooper. <laughs> Hi, Cooper. pa 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 Yeah. Oh, Hi. Cool. Hello. 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 He's smiling. What do you think? Hi, you baby. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I know I look like an elderly Munchkin, but do I sound like one now? <laughs> Is it on? It's on. My God, I can hear myself. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's good! It's okay! Blue. Blue. Orange. Orange. Red. Red. Black. Black. Oh, purple. Purple? <laughs> what do you think? It's amazing. What is it like? Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so different Sound clear or does it sound muffled? Sounds clear. I'm so (laughs) happy (laughs) for you, my I I do. I wonder if the spirit of God doesn't want to take us beyond just seeing, into seeing seeing, beyond just hearing into. Truly hearing. Beyond knowing into knowing knowing. I'm convinced the Lord wants his church to maybe see him for the first time. To maybe experience some of these spiritual realities for the first time. And the only way we get to say, it sounds so different. You look so different. Joy feels so different. Is when we pray, Holy Spirit, please reveal our God to us. Please reveal his blessings to us. And so I'd encourage you this week. I don't know what you need, but it's already yours. The question is, can you see it? I don't know what you need from God, but he is your father and he's a good, good father. And so I'd just ask you, would you consider this week? Just finding some point in the day to say, hey, Holy Spirit, please reveal my father to me. Reveal my stuff to me. Reveal the truth of who I am to me. And so, Lord, we praise you for who you are. We thank you that you gave us your spirit, not just because you want us to get home to where our hope lives, but, Lord, you want our home to come to us where we live. You want us to experience you. You want us to experience our stuff. And that only happens when we cry out to the Holy Spirit. So help us this week, Lord, to include him and maybe see and feel, and laugh, and see for the first time, or in sharper colors we never knew existed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless. We'll see you all next week.